0: Chuck Schumer is doing everything in his power to abolish the filibuster, which presently is preventing him from passing Joe Biden's most radical policy proposals, which includes a federal takeover of the election process. But the filibuster is a long-standing and distinguishing feature of the United States Senate that its defenders consider to be essential to the functioning and integrity of our democratic republic. So yesterday, Republican Senator Tom Cotton took to the floor of the Senate to make the case for keeping the filibuster.
1: Right now, we are on the precipice of a constitutional crisis. We're about to step into the abyss. The nuclear option is being pushed largely by the radioactive rhetoric of a small band of radicals who hold in their hands the political fortunes of the president. The Senate is not a majoritarian body. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn the founding fathers, what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy, into a rubber stamp of dictatorship. They want to make this country into a banana republic. It will be a doomsday for democracy if we do. Those are powerful words, but they're not mine. Every word of my speech today was originally spoken by our esteemed colleague, the senior senator from New York, Chuck
0: Schumer. Uh, Very awkward if you are the Senate majority leader, Chuck Schumer, yikes. Really great troll from Tom Cotton. This is what happens when you stick around national politics for decades as have Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, Joe Biden, who made similarly impassioned defenses of the filibuster during the Bush years. Sometimes your old impassioned sanctimonious pleas contradict your new impassioned sanctimonious pleas, and you are revealed to be nothing more, Mr. Schumer, than a power-hungry carnival barker. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Sir Soplo, who says that FBI official, Jill Sanborn, the one who was testifying and got grilled by Ted Cruz over January 6th, Jill Sanborn probably told her parents, I cannot answer that when they asked if she ate the cookies while holding the cookie jar. Jill, Jill, did you... Are you, did you have any cookies? No, I I cannot answer that. It would be a violation of norms if I answered that. It would be completely not, Jill, your hand is in the cookie jar. Jill, did you, did the feds have anything to do with January 6th? I cannot, I'm sorry, I cannot answer that. Jill, you're wearing a horn hat. You are, your face is painted red and blue. You're screaming to go in like, I'm sorry. It'd be a violation of norms to answer that. You got to cover your tracks if you're a Fed who's trying to set up the right to look like a bunch of terrorists. And when you want to cover your tracks, when you want to keep your information private, you got to check out ExpressVPN. Did you know that your internet service provider knows every single website you visit? Every single one, even the ones you don't want people to know about, even the ones that could get you in trouble, even the ones you look at on that incognito, you know what I'm talking about dailywire.com, you know, politically incorrect kind of stuff. Well, what's worse, they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all of my devices. I love it. I don't go online without having ExpressVPN on my computer, on my phone. You, You can use it even on routers. Everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected, even if they don't have ExpressVPN. I love it. Uh, seriously, if you haven't recognized the threat posed to your privacy and way of life by the big tech companies right now, then I don't know how to help you. Get ExpressVPN, okay? If you believe your online activity is your business, secure it right now. ExpressVPN.com slash Use that link, expressvpn.com slash Get an extra three months for free. ExpressVPN.com slash Chuck Schumer, Got caught dead to rights, so insincere and so disingenuous on the filibuster. 17 years ago, he says it, it's a threat to our democracy, it'll turn us into a banana republic if we get rid of the filibuster. Today, he says it's a threat to our democracy, it'll turn us into a banana republic. If we don't get rid of the filibuster, he just wants power. During the Bush years, it served his power interests to keep the filibuster. Today, it will harm his power interests to get rid of to to keep the filibuster and so he's trying to get rid of it he even admitted this he said the quiet part out loud on msnbc you don't need to take my word for it you don't need to try to discern the private secret thoughts in chuck Schumer's mind he went on tv and he said look we got to get rid of the filibuster because otherwise we're going to lose our elections
1: well we are working there are constant meetings and not just among a few senators but just about every senator Every single one of the 50 is talking individually to Joe Manchin, to Kirsten Cinema, And they're saying things like, I'll lose my election if the legislature is allowed to do this in my state. We'll lose our majority.
0: I'll lose my election, we'll lose our majority. Can't have that. So we, the feds, the Congress, need to take over the election system. From the states and local governments where it's been for all of American history. We got to take that over right now so that we can permanently ensconce ourselves in power. That's what he's saying. I'm trying to think of the most charitable read I can of what Schumer is saying. I guess the most charitable read is this. In 2020, the Democrat election officials changed a lot of the election rules and they got rid of a lot of the safeguards and they implemented things such as unsolicited widespread mail-in ballots, such as er very, very early voting, such as ballot drop boxes. They got rid of a lot of the poll watchers to ensure election integrity. They did their best to suppress voter ID laws. So they changed the election rules right before the election. Now, Republicans are trying to re-implement some of those election integrity measures. They're not even doing a great job of re-implementing all of them, the same measures we had in place two years ago. But they're trying to bring some of them back so that it's not just a complete joke when we go to vote. And the Democrats are saying, this is voter suppression. You're suppressing all of my voters who can't prove that they're eligible voters, who don't request mail-in ballots, who don't want to show up to the polls, and many of whom probably died decades ago. Uh, so this is voter suppression, and that's why we need to go and take over the elections to to defend the little guy that the Republicans are going after. But that's that's not even what they're saying. Chuck Schumer is not saying that his colleagues come to him and say, oh, my poor constituents are having their right to vote taken away, and we must stop. No, they're, they're speaking purely from their own self-narrow political interest, I'm going to lose my race. We, the Democrats, are going to lose our majority because our poll numbers are in the gutter, because people hate what we're doing, because we have failed on every single front on the economy, on national security, on civil liberties, uh, uh, even on COVID, which was the one area that they were in the, in the clear on. Now they're, they're below water on that as well, on immigration, on drugs, on education, on, the list goes on and on and on. So we failed on everything. The people hate our guts. Our approval ratings are very, very low. So we've got to take over the elections and seize power. Otherwise, we're going to lose our seats. That's what it's about. That's the entire battle right now over the filibuster. It's just about power. Now, speaking of power politics, there's some power politics going on on the right as well. Donald Trump, the frontrunner for the 2024 race, the last Republican president, is taking a shot at another serious 2024 contender, Ron DeSantis. Without using DeSantis' name, Trump just came out and called Ron DeSantis gutless for refusing to reveal whether or not he's taken the third or fourth Fauci ouchy.
1: Do you reconsider your push for it? Or what's your view now on the vaccine in general? Well, I've taken it. I've had the booster. Okay. Many
2: politicians, I watched a couple of politicians be interviewed, and one of the questions was, did you get the booster? Because they had the vaccine. And they, oh, they're answering it like, in other words, the answer is yes, but they don't want to say it. Because they're gutless, you got to say it. Whether you had it or not, say right. it. But the fact is that I think the vaccine has saved Tens of millions of people throughout the world. Uh, I have had absolutely no side effects. I've had it like other people have had it, nothing special.
0: 2024 has already started. That's the first takeaway. Donald Trump, who has intimated that he's interested in running again, is now taking shots at his top rivals. The 2024 Republican presidential primary has already started. But I'm not sure I agree with his advice here. I I understand why he is saying this, why he's saying that people need to publicly come out and, and tell everyone whether or not they've had the vaccine or the boosters. But I don't think it's good advice. I think it's very bad advice. We're living in a biomedical security state right now. We are now living in a place where you can be deprived privileges and rights that you once had based on whether or not you've taken this experimental drug to possibly not even prevent you from getting the cough, but from possibly mitigating some of the symptoms of the cough. Th- that doesn't seem like a wise idea to go out and tell everyone whether or not you've had it. Because if w- whether you've had the vaccine or you're never going to get the vaccine or you're just waiting until there are more data on it or something like that, when you offer that information up, you are giving the ruling class more power. Don't forget, Joe Biden didn't institute his OSHA mandate until after most Americans had received some of the vaccine because he knew if he had mandated it when only 10% of Americans had, had received any of the vaccine, it wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have had the political capital to do it. But when he knew or when he strongly suspected that most Americans had had some of it, then he had more political capital. So I think it's a really bad idea to give the ruling class more of this knowledge because the knowledge is power. As a a personal matter, for instance, if you come out and you say, I hate the vaccine, I'm not taking this thing, I don't trust it, I don't trust Fauci, I don't trust any of these people, I don't trust the pharmaceutical companies in the last couple of years, so I'm I'm never taking that vaccine. Well, it's going to be very awkward if you end up in a situation, a restaurant, an airplane, some other situation, where you were supposed to have had the vaccine. That opens you up to a lot of liability, to a lot of vulnerability, or vice versa, if you took the vaccine, but you don't think it should be mandated, if you come out and say, I took it, then you're putting Americans who don't want to take it in a very bad spot. So I think that's, but, but Trump is in this very difficult political spot because he's the man responsible for the vaccines. So he's got to push it, even though his base is very skeptical of them. One thing I am not skeptical of is this plain fact that you can save a lot of money on your mortgage right now when you talk to American financing. Low mortgage rates are still available, but they won't be around for much longer. So it's important to grab one while you can. Only takes 10 minutes to get started when you call American Financing, which is America's home for home loans. You'll get a free mortgage review from a salary-based mortgage consultant. You can learn about options before moving forward. There's no pressure. There's no obligation. There's no upfront or hidden fees. They're not like that. Instead, they take the time to get to know you first so they can design a custom loan that saves you up to $1,000 a month, plus tens of thousands of dollars in the long term. So why not take the time to learn more? You could skip two mortgage payments and may close in as fast as 10 days. Call 800-685-5696. That is 800-685-5696. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182-334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Do not wait. Head on over there right now. Save some money, be financially responsible. American Financing America's home for home loans. Donald Trump is an extremely talented politician. The first time he ever ran for office, first time he ever really officially ran for office, he won the most powerful position in the world. Well, other than Dr. Fauci. I guess I guess the most powerful position in the world now is running the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, but right below that is President of the United States, and Trump won it the first time. He knows a lot about show business. He knows a lot about presenting himself, but he's in a really tough spot. Because the first big issue that Trump could really get rolled on is COVID policy. Trump allowed Dr. Fauci to have the microphone. Trump allowed, I'm not even knocking him for it. He was in, I think, basically an impossible situation. But nevertheless, Trump allowed Fauci to keep talking to elevate his stature. Trump pushed Operation Warp Speed. Trump, so he's got to own the vaccines. He can't totally back away from what has happened in the last couple of years under COVID. But unfortunately, all those things, Fauci to the vaccine policy to, to all of the COVID policy have been deeply, deeply unpopular with Trump's base. So while I still think that Trump is clear, far and away, the front runner for 2024, if he wants it, this is the first issue where you might see some of the Trump base moving toward another candidate. Who is that candidate? Well, in this case, Trump clearly thinks that DeSantis is the big threat. The Republican Party is changing. Trump, I think, was one of the big causes for that change, but it is changing. And even the more establishment politicians are showing that. Kevin McCarthy, who is the Republican leader in the House of Representatives, just did an interview with Breitbart, McCarthy was asked about the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce is just a big business organization that had dominated GOP politics for decades and is one of the big reasons why the GOP seemed always to just flack for big corporations and try to cut corporate taxes and seemed to be on the side of billionaires rather than say the ordinary working people or small businesses. So Kevin McCarthy asked about the Chamber of Commerce. He says, yeah, they're out of the GOP tent and they're not coming back.
2: One of the things that happened in the wake of the January 6th, uh, everything that happened earlier this year is that uh, a bunch of companies and special interests, et cetera, they cut off the Republican Party. I'd argue maybe this is a good thing, right? Like the Chamber of Commerce, they took a hike, right? Like all these special interests out there, uh, uh, big companies, et cetera. After Virginia and New Jersey, they all started to try to come back in, right? Like I think you came out and said, you know what? No, not you're not welcome here, right? Like we're the party of the people. Uh, do special interests have a place in the Republican Party? Look, the thing I see from a standpoint,
1: the Chamber left the party a long time ago. In the last election, the chamber supported Democrats. The chamber gave a higher score to Democrats
2: who are voting for this policy because they signed some letter and voted opposite of what the letter said than Kevin Brady, who was chair of Ways and Means and brought us the tax cuts.
1: I just assume they have as much influence in the future as they do now. None. Um, And our responsibility is to the American public, and that's who's going to drive it.
0: Does Kevin McCarthy watch my show? I, you know, I hate to say I told you so. It, it pains me. It's very, very, very difficult. Just yesterday on the show, I said that the future of the Republican Party was not going to be with the Chamber of Commerce, that the future of the Republican Party was elsewhere, and that Republican politicians who wanted to be on the right side of these things needed to get with the program, that the ones who were going to be really prominent in 2022, 2024, and beyond were going to be the ones that moved away from that Chamber of Commerce kind of talking point list. And then you get one of the most establishment politicians in Washington DC, Kevin McCarthy to come out and say the exact same thing. I'm not saying it's because he watches my show though, I don't know, maybe. But certainly it is the case that he is proving my point. Kevin McCarthy is a very good politician. You might not like him, you might think he's a little too moderate. He's he's in a leadership position in the house, which means in a way he kind of has to be more moderate. He can't be the most far right firebrand. But he is moving in the right direction. Why is this? Because prominent politicians tend to be very good politicians, meaning they know how to do politics, meaning they see which way the wind is blowing. You don't get to that position generally without having a decent political sense. And McCarthy knows where the future of the party is. The future of the party is not going to be flacking for billionaires who, by and large, hate our guts. The future of the party is not going to be technocratic egghead idiocy. It's like, well, you know, uh, regardless of what real families are struggling with now, we just need to push GDP a little bit higher. Once the GDP goes up, actually, you see, on the spreadsheet, we're all a lot richer and better off. Yeah, I know they're transing your kids, and I know that the life expectancy is decreasing as people are killing themselves and on drugs and, and with, with guns and ropes because they, they hate their lives so much. But look at the GDP and look at the profits of the billionaires. It, that's not going to work. That's not going to convince anybody. Well, I know that the majority of Americans hate immigration, legal and illegal immigration. They want to drastically reduce both, but we heard from it. Actually, it increases the GDP a little bit and it reduces the wages for that. Yeah, it's not, that's not going to work. Okay. That's not going to work. Even Kevin McCarthy gets it. This is the future. If you don't understand that right now, and you're a conservative politician, get on board (laughs) because you're going to get left behind if you don't get on board. Talk about the future of the American right. The Young America's Foundation uncovered an incredible story yesterday. YAF posted an article about a Midwestern elementary school that is permitting the Satanic Temple to host Satan Club after school for the kids. Jane Addams Elementary in Illinois is hosting multiple events sponsored by the Satanic Temple It would be bad enough if they were hosting their own events at the school, say, after school hours, but the events are targeted at kids. The event flyer includes a permission slip for parents to sign and says, hey, kids, let's have fun at After School Satan Club. Now, the school had to issue a statement about this. YAF reached out to them. They said, yes, the Satan Club flyers are posted around the elementary school building, Uh, but they added, quote, religiously affiliated groups are among those allowed to rent our facilities for a fee. Somewhere out there, somewhere out there in the recesses of the squish Republican right, of the the most tired, confused, talking points, dated conservative movement types, there are people who will say, this is a wonderful thing. This is a blessing of liberty. Look, the satanic temple, I might not agree with them, But the Satanists have just as much of a right as the Methodists or the Jews to use the school, the elementary school for their meetings. They, By golly, would you tell Presbyterians they can't host their meetings? Would you tell Muslims they can't host their meetings? Well, then you can't say that to the Satanists either. This country was built on religious freedom and pluralism. My goodness, if we tell the Satanists that they can't recruit 10-year-olds and younger for their occult rituals, why the founding fathers would roll in their graves. If this sort of thing occurred during the era of the founding or earlier in American history, all of those men, the founding fathers, the earlier men who built our country, would currently be gathering kindling to burn these people at the stake, (laughs) okay? I'm not suggesting we burn the Satanists at the stake necessarily, but I am suggesting that older generations of Americans would have. The same generations of Americans that we pretend in our insane revisionist history were these totally wide open-minded pluralistic people who considered satanic meetings at the elementary school as American as apple pie. Not at all, Buster, not even close. This is a complete rewriting of American history, a complete rewriting of the American understanding of religious freedom and pluralism. It it is a philosophical misunderstanding based on this idea that in America, in a liberal democracy such as America, we cannot tell people what is right or wrong. No, we just have to accept every single idea and remain perfectly neutral. That's not possible. It's not possible. Not only do we need to talk about what is right and wrong, what's good and bad, what is the common good. Not only do we, do we need to talk, about, or do, not only should we talk about that, we need to talk about that. It is inevitable. It has to happen, especially at elementary schools. The elementary school is already doing this. I promise you this elementary school has lessons about how racism is bad. Racism is bad, I'm, I promise you, in probably every grade, maybe every class. Do they need to remain neutral on racism? Well, we also need to represent the other side. Is racism good? I guarantee you they have lessons about how, I don't know, probably they have lessons about how transgenderism is, is really good and you can't oppose it. Do, are they going to remain neutral? No, they can't because if you teach one thing, you can't teach its opposite. You've got to talk about good and bad. And you've got to not only talk about it, you need to enforce a conception of the common good. It is inevitable. If we don't do it, the other side will. There's no neutrality. Ben is going to be talking today about some really bad things, namely everything Joe Biden has done as president, how he's a terrible president and seven in 10 Americans know it. We will be right back with a lot more. The Satanist after school club at this elementary school in Illinois, where these creepy Satan worshiping adults go in to recruit kids, got me thinking about all of the debates you hear about in politics today. We've been told for a long time that the big battle in the country is the left versus the right, or the big battle in the country is the Republicans versus the Democrats, or the the big battle in the country is, I don't know, freedom versus socialism. Or the big battle in the country is, no, Michael, it's not that. It's nationalism versus globalism. No, it's it's good versus evil. That's always what the political battle is. And it, rep, it expresses itself in different ways. So yes, you can have a battle over socialism and you should be against socialism, not for socialism. You can have a battle over whatever, globalism. But ultimately, at its most basic level, the purpose of government is do good and avoid evil. It's, it's the same thing that we do in our own lives. These other questions about freedom, equality, justice, economics, the, they play a role in that too. But the basic thing is do good and avoid evil. And you can't do any of that. You can't have any conversation about liberty or equality or justice if you don't have some conception of the good. And when you've got Satanists coming in to elementary schools, literal actual Satanists coming into elementary schools to recruit little kids, and your political philosophy can't allow you to say anything against that, can't allow you to stop that, then your political philosophy sucks and doesn't make any sense and is not only completely out of step with the American and Western tradition, it simply cannot work. Speaking of the devil, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is in the news because Hillary Clinton could make a 2024 comeback. That at least according to Doug Schoen and Andrew Stein in the Wall Street Journal. Hillary Clinton's 2024 election comeback subheader. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have become unpopular. It may be time for a change candidate. Now, I suspect that Doug Schoen, who worked for the Clintons, I suspect Doug Schoen is using this phrase change candidate to be provocative because Hillary Clinton has been around, I don't know, since Saints. St. Petersburg when they felt it was time for a change. She's been around since, oh, I don't know, since Eve was gazing hungrily up at that apple in the tree. She's been around a long time, okay, in politics. And so she's not what one typically thinks of as a change candidate. But she would be a change candidate if you were to take the current Democrat president and Democrat vice president, kick them to the curb, and bring back Hillary Clinton. It's not so crazy. It's not so crazy. Her approval ratings, I bet you, are significantly higher than Joe Biden's and Kamala Harris's. Now, that might just be because she's been out of the public eye, somewhat out of the public eye for five years. But it's, it's hard to do worse than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Joe Biden is older than Hillary. Hillary Clinton would be the youth candidate. A lot of people voted for Hillary Clinton. I know we're told that that the most people in American history voted for Joe Biden. I'm a little bit skeptical myself because they changed all the election rules. Hillary, I suspect, is as bad a politician as she is. She's a better politician than Kamala Harris. By far, she's gotten much further in her political career than Kamala Harris. Hillary Clinton is stilted and awful and inhuman. But then there's Kamala Harris, (laughs) who's somehow more so even than Hillary. And... The clearest reason, I think, to believe that Hillary might mount a comeback is that Doug Schoen wrote the column. Doug Schoen, who worked for the Clintons. Is this just an accident that this column showed up? Is it just the mere musings of Doug Schoen and Andrew Stein? I suppose it could be, but that's not usually how things happen in Clinton world. Usually the way things happen in Clinton world and in politics, and especially in election op-eds in major newspapers, is that a campaign plants them just to float an idea, just to see what happens. And so what do I think of this idea? I think it's great. Run, Hillary, run! Please. Because then when she loses again, I can play that clip from The Wizard of Oz on my show. Ding dong! <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. I really think it's a good idea. And by the way, I'm not just saying it from self-interest as a conservative. I think it would be good for the Democrat party. She probably has a better chance than Joe Biden. Usually changing up your candidate midway through is a terrible idea and it will kill you. But Joe Biden's approval ratings basically can't be lower. He's got an excuse to leave because he's old and obviously suffering from senility. And Hillary Clinton is an institution in the Democrat party. It's not as though she would be in an unknown quantity. She's exactly what people think of when they think of the Democrat establishment. She's basically just a better version of Joe Biden. Not so crazy. Speaking of insufferable liberal Democrat women, Elizabeth Warren is speaking out about some of the economic problems that we've got right now. You've probably noticed this if you've gone to grocery stores, the shelves are empty. The prices are going way, way up. It's a big problem. Why is this? Well, I think it probably has something to do with the supply chain issue. I think it probably has something to do with Joe Biden just spending money frivolously and causing inflation. I think this probably has something to do with the insane draconian lockdown policies that the Democratic Party is still pushing. But Elizabeth Warren says, no, you know, all the problems really just lie with the supermarkets.
2: The tool that we have failed to use for decades now has been the antitrust laws so that we get more and more concentration. Think of the example right now, for example, with grocery stores. Remember how many grocery stores there used to be? And now what you've got is a handful of giant chains. And then what happens? Uh, Kroger, uh, their profits just in the third quarter of 2021 were almost $900 million. That was more than three times what their profits were in the same time period in 2019. Now, if they are able to expand profits, not expand prices, expand profits, that's because they have a lot of market dominance here. If we move in on antitrust law, break up these giant corporations, Then we get real competition and then we get markets that are truly competitive.
0: If the insinuation here is that the supermarkets are to blame for all of the supermarket problems that we're facing rather than, say, Joe Biden and the government policies and the supply chain and and the COVID measures, then Elizabeth Warren is crazy. But on the broader point, on the broader economic point that it's bad to just have a few corporations dominating industries and and it's bad to have just a few chains taking over what were formerly more local, smaller institutions. Elizabeth Warren is completely right. I hate oh ugh, ugh, my mouth I wanna ah I need to wash that down. I don't like saying that. I'll say I'll say one more time just to get the point. Of, Elizabeth Warren was right. <coughs> ah, okay. I don't want to have to say that again. I'll I'll try to keep her name out of it. The point is is extremely conservative. And it ties in with what Kevin McCarthy was talking about. It ties in with what Ron DeSantis is talking about. Ties in with a lot of what Donald Trump has talked about in terms of globalism and this concentration of power in the hands of very few woke individuals. I'll take you back to when I was a little kid. And actually, just a few weeks ago, I went back there. The place that I used to go grocery shopping when I was a kid was generally not the ShopRite or the Kroger or the Publix. When I was a kid, once a week, we would drive down to the Bronx to Arthur Avenue, the Italian neighborhood in the Bronx. And we would not go to some big supermarket to buy our food. We'd go to a lot of little tiny shops. We'd go to the baker. Sometimes we'd go to multiple bakers to get different things. We'd go to the sausage store to get the sausage. We'd go to the cheese store. They got the best cheese in the world. We'd go to the prosciutto store, get the prosciutto. We'd go to the little cigar shop, get the cigars. We'd go to the produce market, get the really good produce. And all of these things, all of these different items that we would buy were better, much better, not even close. Go to the bread shop, get the fresh bread, much better than what you would get in the supermarket. And the experience of it was much better. And you would get to know the shop owners. And I still am friends with some of these shop owners. I've known them for 15, 17, almost 20 years probably. And that's a that's a wonderful relationship. And you look forward to going shopping. And it's a, a fun experience and it involves community. And it, it increases the quality of the goods very often. Do you have that experience when you go to your local supermarket? Do you look forward to going to your local supermarket? Do you, are you friends? Do you ever have a cup of coffee with the owner of your local supermarket? Probably not. No, you dread going. You just have to go. You got to pick up the food or whatever. And then you bring it out. You get out of there as quick as you can. Usually you don't even interact with a person. It's self-checkout. You scan your own cards until the machine breaks. And then some guy who doesn't even look you in the eye walks over and he scans a card and just walks away. No, if something goes wrong at your gigantic supermarket, what do you do about it? Nothing. You can't do anything because there's no responsiveness because giant, distant, entities, whether it's the government in Washington, DC, or whether it's a mega corporation that now dominates the whole market, they are not responsive to people. They're not responsive to local communities. This is why it is an extremely conservative point to want to keep more power local and more widely distributed. Power and ownership in the hands of very, very few dominated by a handful of oligarchs and a ruling class is not going to be good for the majority of people. It's not going to be good for the American way of life. All right. Maybe Elizabeth Warren had a point. Okay, enough of that. Speaking of the food business, the Ronald McDonald House in Canada has announced that it will evict all of its tenants, adults and children over the age of five who are not vaccinated by the end of January. The Ronald McDonald House is a great charity that houses kids and their families while the kids receive treatment at local hospitals. The father of a little boy who is suffering from leukemia has just responded to his eviction notice. This is an eviction notice, I believe, to... Anybody older than five who's not vaccinated is getting evicted from Ronald McDonald's house. So I'm just gonna go talk to people at the counter and see if it's legitimate. Like we got this last night and yes. uh, it's just pretty disturbing. I'm just wondering if it's legit. Is this saying that like, everybody
2: who's not vaccinated is getting evicted? Well, we have a grace period to which you can um, get your free first dose, yeah. but essentially as of January 17th. It's a board mandate from our... From our so I just want to get this straight. So by the end of the month, my four-year-old boy with leukemia is getting evicted because we don't have a vaccine. My parents. This is...
0: If he was six months old, he would be getting But yeah, because we don't have the vaccine, you're going to... It throws on the snow with a few weeks'
2: notice. Like, this is some kind of crazy evil. Like,
1: I have never seen in my life.
0: This is evil. This is extremely evil. This is one of the most evil things I've ever seen. And there's the woman just following orders, just standing there in her mask, totally blank face. I can't see most of her face because of the stupid mask. But she's saying, yes, we're going to evict you and you're leukemia-ridden little boy because you won't take the experimental drug, and he and probably is he won't take the experimental drug, to protect against a virus that poses very, very, very little risk to him. Even, obviously, leukemia is going to greatly increase that risk, but the father has made a decision. Maybe the boy's not going to get the shot in order to I don't know, in consultation with the doctor, because it's not a good idea, because it's an experimental drug, because, for whatever reason, because they won't make... the Parents who are already in this incredibly difficult medical moment are now being told, sorry, you're out on the street. There's a scene that Whitaker Chambers, the ex-communist turned conservative, explains in Witness, where he's walking down the street with a fellow communist and they're talking about how they've got to improve the lot of the poor masses. And a beggar walks up to them and asks for money. And Whitaker Chambers reaches into his pocket to give him a coin. And the communist next to him, he says, don't give him any money. Don't give it to him. It's hard, I know, but do, do not help that man. It will dull the revolutionary spirit. You can't do it. And he saw the pain on the communists face and that Whitaker Chambers felt this pain to do not give him money. You shouldn't give him money. It will, it's better. It'll be better in the long run if you don't have any charity. This is what people mean when they say that the left cares a lot about humanity, but doesn't care about actual humans. This is the difference between a vague, abstract humanitarianism that's going to save the world and improve the world versus charity which is a good old Christian virtue. It's theological virtue. And charity is when you care about your fellow man and you actually do things to help your fellow man. Charity is a lot harder than humanitarianism. Very, very different concepts. Leftist ideologues hate charity. What is charity? Charity is, just to use a clear definition. The infused supernatural virtue by which a person loves God above all things for his own sake and loves others for, the, for God's sake. Charity is this virtue where we recognize, okay, I love my God. I'm supposed to love my God with all my heart and soul. And man is made in the image of God. And God tells me to love others as, as I love myself. And I'm made in the image of God. And okay, I'm going to love that. I'm going to treat this person as someone who is bearing the, the very image of God which means that when you come across that beggar on the street, you are talking to an eternal being. Humanitarianism is different. Humanitarianism is just kind of on the aggregate, raising the lot of people. And if you got to kill a few people in order to do that, well, that's just what has to be done. If you need to crack a few omelets, crack a few omelets. If you need to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, that's just the way the recipe works totally the opposite of charity. You see this in in the LA Times. LA Times has one of the spookiest headlines I've ever seen. Columns reading, mocking anti-vaxxers COVID deaths is ghoulish, yes, but may be necessary. And the picture is a young woman, young, beautiful woman, Orange County GOP figure who died of COVID. And he says, we should mock her death. This is by Michael Hiltzik, not just some crank who wrote a letter to the editor. This is a Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist. The original headline, by the way, which you can still see in the URL of the article, is why shouldn't we dance on the graves of anti-vaxxers? Why shouldn't we? Here's what he says. He says, quote, pleas for civility are a fraud. Their goal is to blunt and enfeeble criticism and distract from its truthfulness typically they're the work of hypocrites. It's almost the same argument that the communist is making to Whitaker Chambers. Don't, don't give in. Don't give in to those pleas for civility. Don't give in to those pleas for charity. It will blunt the revolutionary spirit. He goes on. Mockery is not necessarily the wrong reaction to those who publicly mocked anti-COVID measures and encouraged others to follow suit before they perished of the disease, the dangers of which they belittled. Nor is it wrong to deny them our sympathy and solicitude, or to make sure it's known when their deaths are marked that they had stood fast against measures that might have protected themselves and others from the fate they succumbed to. There may be no other way to make sure that the lessons of these teachable moments are heard. I bet this guy, Michael Hilsick, I bet he loves humanity. He cares so much about humanity. I'm skeptical that he loves a single person, but he definitely loves humanity. And that's why we need to mock their deaths in order, because that will make us good people. If we mock the deaths of others, that will make us good people. Because while we'll hurt many, many individuals, many, many people, we will, I guess, help humanity. I'm not quite sure how we see humanity. We need a lot less humanitarianism in our country. We need a lot more charity. Speaking of COVID policy, Dr. Fauci, and speaking of death, by the way, Dr. Fauci has testified. He had another fire exchange with Rand Paul. Rand Paul has caught this guy dead to rights time and time. Again, you'll recall Rand Paul called out Dr. Fauci for funding gain of function research. Dr. Fauci said, I did not. We have never funded gain of function research. You are completely incorrect, Senator. And Rand Paul said, what about Dr. Ralph Barrick?" I have the papers of you funding this guy and he's the gain of function expert and he did gain of function. And Fauci didn't realize that Rand Paul had the receipts. And so his eyes go open. He goes, uh, no, uh, we, uh, Dr. Barrick was not doing gain of function, which is a complete demonstrable lie. He's one of the world's leading gain of function experts. And, uh, and if he was, it was fine. <laughs> so he wasn't doing it, but he was doing it. And it was fine. <laughs> So he got him dead to rights. And Rand Paul keeps doing this to Fauci. And lie after lie after lie from Dr. Fauci keep getting exposed. So now what did Fauci do? He went on Capitol Hill and he cried and he complained. And he said, Rand Paul, you're exposing my lies is going to leave me dead.
2: What happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there. And I have life. The threats upon my life, harassments of my family and my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. Now, you know, I guess you could say, well, that's the way it goes. I can take the hit.
0: That is exactly what I'm going to say. That's the way it goes, and you can take the hit. Death threats are very bad. I hate death threats. No one should make death threats. Every single public person. Gets death threats every single one. Lots of people who aren't even all that private, who are, or who, who aren't even all that public, who are just sort of semi-public. Maybe you've got five thousand followers on social media or ten thousand followers on social. Even then, it's not like you're running the public health apparatus for America. It's not like you're a top politician. Even then, you're getting death threats. Rand Paul knows a thing or two about death threats, buddy. Let's not forget. Leftist radicals tried to shoot Rand Paul at the congressional baseball game and then his leftist neighbor tried to kill him and end up breaking his ribs and sending him to the hospital for a long time. Rand Paul is pretty familiar with death threats. Dr. Fauci's had death threats his whole career. He's been in public since the 1980s. He is not complaining about this because death threats are something new. He's, He's bringing this up right now as a last ditch emotional manipulation to say, if you criticize me, you're committing murder. All Dr. Fauci can say to Rand Paul right now is, you are incorrect, Senator. And then Rand Paul proves that he's correct. And he says, well, and then he just moves on and he just, you're incorrect. And now the best thing he's going to do, if you keep talking, you're going to kill me. I hate death threats. I think it's really bad. No one should do it. If you make death threats, you should be prosecuted for it. It's a really bad thing to do. This is not about new death threats coming into Dr. Fauci. This is an emotional manipulation because the guy has got caught, because what he's doing is deeply unpopular, because people are finally pushing back against him. It's desperate. It's insincere. It's just as disingenuous as what we're seeing from Chuck Schumer and all the other Democrat politicians like Dr. Fauci up on Capitol Hill. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. We'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, a
2: new Quinnipiac poll puts Joe Biden's approval ratings below those of Paul Blart, Mall Cop.
1: That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.